In the early days of Pearl Jam, getting your hands on a bootleg wasn't as easy as it is today. Anytime you want to bring a tape recorder to one of our shows, you're more than welcome to. There were no MP3s, no torrents, and no massive catalog of official shows released by the band. Maybe then you won't have to pay $30 or anything like that. You can have your own tape. I'm Patrick Bogle. And I'm Brian Horowitz. And these are stories about becoming fans in the 90s. It's hard to imagine. We sought every rarity and B-side we could get our hands on. Taste, we've got taste. Never would have known that you This is Hallucinogenic Recipe. I never got to taste anything. Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs. This is a show, a brand new show called Hallucinogenic Recipe. And you're listening to my voice right now, but you won't be hearing from me. This is basically the first time in Live on Four Legs where I'm going to take the total backseat here. I'm going to give it up to Patrick and Brian. They are going to take you through the whole bootleg experience on collecting what it was like back in the early 90s because the tape trading days... They're over and done with. We have sent each other MP3s every single day. It's easy. There's nothing to it. We get to learn a little bit about the history, and it doesn't even feel like that long ago, 30, 25 years ago, that they were trading this stuff, that CDs were relevant, but and tapes, cassette tapes were relevant, but Brian, Patrick are going to go through the whole thing, and uh, let's, guys, take take it away. So... Patrick Patrick Bogles here. Uh, Patrick, you've been on the show a few times. Brian Harwitz. Brian, you this is your first time on the show. So, well, technically, this it's a new show, but you, this is the first time in live on Four Legs Universe. So, welcome to the universe. And uh, I'm I'm just I'll be in the background for for this episode at least. And uh, I'm just interested in seeing what you guys have to say. Awesome. Thank you, Randy. Um, super excited about this. We had been, you know, kicking the tires on this for uh, quite a while, you know, trying to figure out the the ins and outs. And um, really, we, you know, we see this as uh, an opportunity to, uh, as you said, to talk about, you know, um, the early days, the things that preceded, you know, the what were the what are now the first phase of official bootlegs back in 2000. Um, and this is really the the illicit bootleg days and and tape trading and how how people got to know um, Pearl Jam, you know, particularly in the live setting early on. And um, I I reached out to to Brian about this because um, way back uh, in the spring, I think it was, we were you know doing some stuff for um, the write ups for um, Deep, and uh, he had uh, sent me a message and. We kind of just picked up on some things that we were both um, interested in. So when this this whole thing started bubbling in my mind, I was like, he would be a good uh, he would be a good you know counter on this um, because I think he's got you know a lot of the, a similar experiences and you know uh, a, a good uh, a good collection uh, to to refer to as well. So um, excited to be doing this. Um, so let let me just kick it off in terms of a couple of things like when we try to set the stage for this time uh time period you know there's a couple of different things to think about Brian you know what the first thing i always think about is that that first bootleg that i actually owned and and what was that what for you what was the first one that you had your hands on good question right i think you know as you alluded to earlier it it's this is pre pre Napster, which is in and of itself dated, right? I mean, you say Napster now, that was that was twenty plus years ago, um, and it was not easy to get your hands on anything that wasn't official. And and I think it all, 
it started with like the singles, right? So you'd get like the Jeremy single and all of a sudden it was like a badge of honor. You're like, Hey, do you, do you know footsteps? Have you heard this yellow lead better song? Um, little did you know it would end every single show you went to for the next 30 years. Um, and then I think the next step of that was the MTV unplugged and then some of the TV appearances, getting that on VHS tape. The real, the first real bootleg though, that I had was taping the Atlanta show off the radio, uh, as far as like a full concert is concerned. Right. So the, the April 3rd, 94 show. And I still have my tapes recording it off of the, the local radio station. I actually have next to me here because I knew this question was going to come up. I have my first CD bootleg that I ever got. Uh, and it, amazing. Um, if you collected these CDRs back in the day, these illicit bootlegs that usually cost about $30 per disc, um, you never knew really what you were going to get here. But this one, so it's a, it's a bootleg called Five Against One. It's a bunch of demos from Versus. And uh, I remember I got it when I was skiing with my parents out in, I think, Colorado, if I'm not mistaken, on spring break. Uh, or no, sorry, February vacation, because lo and behold, I looked in the little uh, booklet in here and I still have the receipt and I had no idea that I had this. So the first bootleg I ever owned, I just realized today, is um, February 22nd, 1994. Um, right. It's not a concert. It's a bunch of demos from Versus, but uh, that sort of kicked off the, uh, the, the bootleg phase. Um, and so I think that's the first one that's before I started actually like tape trading and then buying kind of all the other CDRs that I ended up getting over the years. Correct me if I'm wrong. That, that one was, uh, the, the first that had hard to imagine on it. Correct. I'm looking right. at it right now. There's, yeah. uh, it's got hard to imagine. It's got alone. Um, yeah. I remember listening to it. It's, it's interesting. Uh, I think some of the songs sound very much like the songs on Versus, and I think some of them have some differences. I remember Rearview Mirror sounding a little chunkier, a little almost more punk sounding. It's a little raw. Um, and then there's early versions of, uh, well, so they call it Go. They call it Don't Go On Me. Obviously, that's a whole different conversation about the mislabeling of songs. But they have Don't Need on here, which would obviously become Whipping on the next album. Um, what else on here is interesting? I think I think those are sort of the ones that stand out on here. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, the the first um, boot like disc that I actually ended up getting was um, a, a title called "Wash My Love," um, and it was the Palladium show from uh, October '91. Um, it yep. was a, a pre-FM soundboard recording, so it, it very good quality. The the bootleg itself was you know somewhat ridiculous. It's like if you see the the cover art for that, it looked like it was you know drawn by you know a five-year-old with crayola crayons <laughs> like yellow and green and blue and it just spells out wash my love in this really weird font um but i was you know taken away by the just you know there's a great version of porch on it obviously wash is is on as the the opening song and that's that's you know one of the things that immediately got me hooked you, you, know, you talk about the the imports um for the singles and whatnot, that that definitely got the ball rolling for me as well. But then when yep. I wanted to grab the live sound, so this was uh, probably ninety. I gotta say, it was like uh, ninety two, spring of ninety two um, at college that I picked that up, um, and um, and then things just started rolling from there. And a lot of a lot of my early collection was getting things on bootleg cds with friends at college and then we'd make tapes off of those um so when you think about you know collecting in those early days and when you're doing that do you have a favorite um bootleg that you had picked up 
I mean, I played that Atlanta show to death when I recorded it off the radio. Um, you know, it's funny. I didn't realize this until later that Atlanta show, my local radio station had it on delay by, I don't know, 20 or 30 seconds. And they were actually bleeping out some of his mid song banter that I didn't realize I was missing for a long time until I got like an uncut version of it. I was like, I don't remember Eddie swearing nearly as much during the show as, as I'm listening to right now. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, it, it, that, it, that's such an iconic show. And for that to be like the, the first full show that I remember listening to and dissecting. And, and again, you want to talk about a great version of porch. I remember just listening to that at the time thinking, wow, because I'd already had like the unplugged version to sort of compare it to in my head. And this is a totally different beast. This is more, you know, electric, obviously Mike thrown in the, the Hendrix teases and going off. So that's one. I know we're going to talk about it. The, the soon after that, I got the, um, the Zurich 92 show, which I have next to me. I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but that's another one of my favorite shows of just um, the sequencing of the songs, the trilogy, the version of Porch, Black, this, the whole thing is just great. Nice. It's funny. You mentioned the the recording of the um, Atlanta, which, you know, obviously I think everybody that was into the band at that time was sitting by their tape decks and recording. Yeah. It's funny, like I, um, Johnny Firecloud, who uh, has his own podcast, uh, Antiquiet, and I think he's been on with uh, the guys on Live and Four Legs at least once. Um, I was listening to him talk in one of his um, uh, Pearl Jam podcasts about recording Atlanta in uh his home and it's it turns out at the time that he was doing that so he he basically grew up in the same town that my mom ended up moving to in new jersey so when i was home for spring break i'm sitting like probably blocks away from him doing the same thing recording <laughs> like like thousands of us were doing you know flipping tapes and and catching every second of that that we could for the, yeah. the Atlanta broadcast um, yeah, so it's just, it, it's amazing to think back about, you know, the, the process of that, um, as well. Um, I definitely think one that I, I, I loved, um, from the early days that I know I'm going to want to get into in, in future, uh, episodes is, um, the bootleg small club, which was, um, the Den Hog show from, um, I was going to say, is that the Holland show? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so many different things about that that are, are interesting in terms of, the 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 bootleg recording of that and then a, as it you know uh you know things uh revealed about that show uh years down the road where you know the the entire um sequence for i've got a feeling is um is is basically um almost half cut from the on the bootleg recording and then restored in later days when people got first generation copies of tapes and whatnot yep um but um that that one that definitely um, is one that I still have in my collection that I will not give up. There's ones that I've passed on over the years that I had, um, but there's certain ones that, you know, sentimentality is going to keep them. Utrecht yep. being another one. That was an amazing one. Um, that, that, that whole run that was happening, you know, right before MTV Unplugged, so that kind of February, early March shows, Cologne, Germany, all those, that, that whole run of shows is just, you can see it happening I, I love those shows i love the rawness of it they're still they're still hungry you know there's they're not jaded eddie's not eddie's not you know lashing out and, and <laughs> getting drunk at every show um you can you can feel that that hunger there um that sort of you know exploded come april may june and in, into that sort of you know europe tour and then Lollapalooza. but there's something about that sort of way early 92 shows where they're a little more honed in than they were in 91 but they're but they're they're still figuring things out. And I, I love, I love listening to those songs. I mean, you know, 
I can talk about, we can do an entire episode talking about porch and I won't get bored after four hours of doing it. That's one of those songs where you can hear them during that time. And alive is kind of another one, but porch in particular, you can hear the evolution of that leading to some of those, some of my favorite versions from the summer. And you can hear like, you know, the, the one you mentioned earlier, um, the Hollywood bowl show and, and that version of porch it's good, but it's kind of standard, right? It's, it doesn't veer. It, it's almost like the recording. There's a little bit of a solo and then it's just all, it's all about Eddie's voice leading up to the end. And then you can hear like the Seattle show at the Moore in January, and then some of those like Germany shows and, and, and Utrecht and, and all those shows. You can hear them trying little bits and pieces and working it out and, and then putting it all together a few months later and coming up with the, these just monster versions of that song. I love that era. And to your point, I like, I, I still, I still have a soft spot for kind of that era and listening to those shows. And I, I still have all those bootlegs and I can't get rid of them. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so when, when we think about like the, that, that time period, you know, in terms of accumulation, obviously, you know, we're talking about the, the bootleg CDs and, and taping off the, the radio and whatnot, but there's that, that other, uh, element, which was the, the actual tape trading world. When did tape trading for you particularly begin? I got into trading when I went to college. So I went to, to UVM, University of Vermont, um, 94 to 98. And when I got there in the fall of 94, uh, you know, again, I had a couple of shows. I think I had a, at that point a couple of CDRs, and I actually ended up picking up a couple really early on. There was a great bootleg store called Pure Pop Records. It's still there, but they don't really sell the, the bootlegs anymore. Um, and that's where I got a lot of the ones that I have now over the course of those kind of few years. But when I got there, interestingly enough, I'm also a, a pretty big fish fan. And I had a couple of friends of mine freshman year who were very, very big fish fans. They had, I'm talking like, you know, and, and you know, UVM is sort of the mecca of being a fish fan. That's where they sort of um, got started. Um, and they had dozens and dozens and dozens of shows, if not hundreds. And they had racks of them. They, they had them up on their walls. They had tons of shows. And and I I knew about bootleg collecting. I had some friends in high school that were into bootlegs and, and had a bunch. But dedicated fans like that. I remember sort of being blown away, being like, wow, like these guys put a lot of effort into it. And I sort of forged my own path at that point. I got into some of the, 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 um, um, like the Usenet groups, like alt.music.pearljam, I want to say was one of them. Um, and then I got into some of the, the chat rooms, like late 94 into 95, uh, like the, um, the IRC channels. Like, uh, I don't know if you remember this, like, uh, Fnet, uh, had a, uh, it was like, hashtag Pearl Jam back then it was just pound sign Pearl Jam but I somehow someone turned me on to that and I started talking to people so it was I started trading tapes somewhere around there it was like probably late 94 into early 95 and then for about the next two or three years before tapes like really became obsolete and you could like start burning CDRs and stuff that was sort of my sweet spot and and I amassed you know probably a modest collection by some people's means but I, I still have my I, I bet there's 60 70 something shows Nice. Yeah, that's that's kind of like the same timeline that when I started um, doing tape trading again, like, you know, we did some, you know, just friends of friends trading of, hey, you have this bootleg, make a tape for me, I'll make a tape of mine or anything that we recorded off the radio. But it was, uh, you know, um, a a roommate of mine. um, I went to college up um, in central New York at Lemoyne, um, just outside of Syracuse. And um, and he basically was like super into like trying to figure out the internet early. And um, so he was, you know, um, jumping into the Usenet groups and um, AOL and a bunch of different things. And 
um, I think the, the first couple of things that he actually um, sprung up with that that came really quick, um, like one of the first that that sticks out in my mind is the bridge shows from 1994. Yep. Um, he sent me and I still actually I still have the the um, the packing envelope that he sent me the tape and for that one. Um, so it was like probably I had that before Halloween. And those shows were October 1st, 2nd of uh, 94. And that's how quick they had started to turn around. Things had changed a lot. You know, it was like where it was early on, it was hard to like, hey, who do I get, you know, a handle on to get this show and that show. Things had started to like kind of get a a crack open in the door for um, for fans to just, you know, get on tape trees and, and send things out. And that was that he was my lifeline. That's where, you know, things began. So, uh, in terms of like, uh, you know, lots of accumulation, uh, of shows w- was through that, you know, he was, he got me the, um, the more shows from February of 95. I, yep. I think I probably had those like, again, like a month and a half after they actually played, which was incredible. Um, and then it just snowballed into the summer of 95. It felt like every week, I was getting two or three tapes from him. Um, and, and, you know, from there, that's when, you know, I graduated from college in 95 and then began with the, the seek of finding a employment uh, and, and, and such. Um, and probably in earnest really began trading tapes um, in late 95 and throughout 96 and really, you know, push things um, at that point, it almost became like a, a, a second job with no pay, um, and, you know, creating a, an online trading page. Did you have an online trading page like uh, the, like on the early stages of the Internet with like your your tape list on it? I didn't have one early. I got into, um, by the way, I just want to go back really quick to something you said earlier. I thought it was obsessive on my end that I still have my tapes. The fact that you have the packing envelope is kind of badass. I just wanted to point that out. I appreciate that. Um <laughs> I got into, this would have been late in college, so um, somewhere around 97, 98, I took a, a computer science, it was like computer science one, computer science two, I took a couple of them, and in one of those, they taught us HTML and gave us a little web space to, to do some development, and that was one of the things that I did was start cataloging what I had on tape, what I had on CD, um, and I still I still actually have a copy of that actual HTML file somewhere. I, I, I stopped updating it many, many years ago, because you know, it gets to the point where... Uh, you're just downloading MP3s, and I don't I don't consider that worthy of putting up on any sort of list anywhere. But yeah, I didn't I didn't really categorize everything until probably a little later than you did, somewhere around there, ninety seven, ninety eight. Cool. Yeah, I was um, the 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 basically the the dawn of uh, GeoCities. I used their uh, their sort of easy entry to create your own uh, web page to to house my various tape tradings of which um pearl jam was um a, a, a primary one and i, I also had the dorkiest because people named their pages and oh yeah mine was um fantastically named um and in 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 just such embarrassing fashion looking back at it now but mine was called garden of tone i was so clever uh, to come up with that <laughs> as a as a name, but uh, but it scored me a many it scored me many a tape. I will say that. I mean, it was a uh, that was like the 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 really the way that uh, I started, you know, making connections and and ultimately 
got onto like uh, the the tape tr- trading trees that came along. So you know, tours would happen. The yeah. main tapers would get them out. Dats would go out to people with cassettes. First cassettes would go out, and um, you'd just pass them on, so on and, and so forth. You'd basically just be, you know, a, a branch within the network and uh, and and sending out blanks and postages. Uh, oh yeah, B and P's the whole deal. Yep. Yep, and uh, and then getting them in return, and then some people sending them to you, and the whole the whole process of making sure that you were you know in recording mode no high speed dubbing no dolby oh yeah um, no dolby have... no high speed dubbing it had to be the right the right tapes too there was only a couple of acceptable ones obviously maxl xl2s were the gold standard but there were a couple other ones that were okay there was like a sony one i think there was a fuji one that was decent at one point yep yep maxl2s were my go to for sure oh um, yeah that was that that was the uh that was the thing um you know and obviously you know tape tape labeling you know you had to take take you know great care with you know making sure you got um everything set up from side a to side b and and marking things down for people um uh i I always laugh because one time i was making a tape again for my 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 buddy joe who was who really you know got me uh, unleashed on a lot of this stuff He, he sends me a um a letter back after i had mailed him a tape i think it was probably like uh one of the DC shows from early 95 and he just, he, it did nothing in this letter. I open it up. I'm thinking, okay, there's no tape. Why is he sending me a letter? And it's just one word. And it's that I basically had misspelled corduroy. Um, and I was like, really, you're going to point that out. Like these days we just get it like, a, you know, an instant text picture of your uh, failure, but he actually took the time to write the word down, put it in an envelope and send it back to me to tell me that I'd spelt it wrong. And I was like, okay thank you for that um but you know i I keep in touch with uh one of the guys that that is on sirius xm pearl jam radio and and i uh every once in a while i'll see something on there where something's misspelled or like the date of a show is wrong because i'm a dork and i'll like i'll shoot him a text message and be like oh you gotta get on this dude (laughs) (laughs) that's great um so you know as we think about like you know how we're gonna sort of roll out and talk about um some different topics i mean there there's certainly you know some type of shelf life here we don't know what that's going to be because there's not an infinite you know time frame from from 1990 to about you know the the 2000 tour when the uh official bootlegs start to come out but what what are some things like you think about whether it shows or different you know different topics from this era that you would like to you know hit on and think about as um as we you know kind of figure out what's what's forward from here yeah i mean good question i know we've sort of shot a lot of ideas back and forth and we have a lot of stuff to cover uh over several episodes i think we could do this for hours uh, just based on the way we're going right now um you know i I think obviously we got to hit on a lot of those early shows i think we got to talk about um I have some kind of funny stories about trades that did not go well. One in particular, which I think would be kind of fun to, to, to dive into. I think certain songs we can go into as well. I, you know, maybe we don't want to go down that path too much, but you know, like I said, versions of porch and alive and eventually rearview mirror and immortality and, and you know, how you came across those, um, you know, what, what, um, you know, digging into some of those CDRs that you found in stores, what, what were they, how do they misspell some of the, the, the names of songs um, where'd you find them? Where were some of your kind of favorite spots to get them? There's a couple of like really interesting sort of side stories that um, that are are worth 
pulling back a little bit of the layers and onions on and you know the one that that comes to mind is uh orpheum theater show um i was a collector of uh a lot of different um uh tapes and bands and and bootlegs um and so i used to get this magazine called ice magazine has nothing to do with the other ice uh that can can you know drive people a little bit batty in the news but uh this this was um purely a a magazine that talked about it was basically upcoming releases um across the music industry and but they they always had like a special section that focused um on imports um you Mm -hmm. know quote unquote imports because they were there was a illegal loophole that existed for these for a period of time that allowed um, allowed them to get to the shelves of certain record stores. Right. If but it was made would, in Italy, if it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they would they would track these releases and give you an update on what was coming out. So that's one that I'm interested in talking about because it's, it's it, 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 it bleeds into a, a lot of different places because what that's obviously a famous show for a variety of reasons. Um, it was something that you know excited people when they thought that that was going to get released it doesn't get released it turns into another release and it's comical because it's like bootleggers getting mad at people who scam them and it just it it's it's a very very funny sort of like side drama um you know when you know with when you think about um this whole time period and tape trading and then obviously years down the road when they release the the versus vitology box set and decide to you know um put out you know selections from the the orpheum show just uh sort of like one of those like cosmic coincidences that are worth uh worth kicking around there but um so you know those types of things like just you know little stories i think you know the 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 variety of of some shows in terms of how they got bootlegged and you know uh variations of those bootlegs and um you know i'd mentioned you know earlier about the the bridge shows and you know receiving tapes things of that nature like and and particular tours how they you know sort of um on unleash themselves uh for everybody in terms of how the tapes rolled out and you know what it meant um you think about the monkey wrench radio shows not just the um you know the self-pollution and the uh, monkey wrench you know broadcasts uh proper but those like 95 uh Soldier field you know, and yeah. Else, yeah so lots of lots of different things uh tackle there and then hopefully you know getting into a little bit of you know some of the folks that, that maybe will uh will catch their their ear and there'll be conversations to be had of uh, you know with some of the folks that actually spent some of the time doing this, whether it was the tapers who sometimes can be notorious of not wanting to necessarily get out there and talk, which I understand. But um, a lot of the folks that, you know, um, that ran these, you know, the the tape trees and the CDR trees and then took the time to do re-edits of these shows, um, those that would be some fun things to, to hopefully uh, um, to pique people's interest if they're um if they're able to uh to hear us and and want to get on and talk about it that could be some fun stuff too i think that'd be fascinating i i've talked to some people over the years who were tapers back in the day and i think it's just it makes for some great stories and people who were following them well before i was even able to see them and capturing these shows that sort of drew me in even more to this band before i had a chance to see them um i'd love to hear more on that side of this whole story like what was it like taping them how did you like, what was your, what were your methods of like disseminating things? Like how did, who did, did you have a group of, you know, five or six people that they then spread everything out? Did you have a couple people? How did it work? 
um, what what did, what did you use? What kind of device was it? A handheld? You know, did you bring in like a, a, a microphone? Was it under your jacket? Like, just get into the details. Like, how did this work? Because you know, you, you collect these shows, and it was a tough pill to swallow back in the day. It was one thing to get a bunch of tapes and have a couple of the shows sound awful. But it was another thing to spend thirty dollars on a single disc or, or sixty on a, on two discs and have it be awful. Um, you know that that was a tough pill to swallow. That there was a guy. It wasn't pure pop records because theirs were sealed. But there was a guy that for about a year or so when I was in college opened up a kind of a competing store on the other end of Burlington. It was like North Burlington at the time, and they're they're long since gone. The guy the guy was kind of a jerk, but I would show up there and he would let me. He would put on the CD player like anything I wanted to listen to. For like 30 seconds at a time, he wouldn't, he wouldn't like, sometimes I'd go in and be like, oh, I want to hear this version of Porch, and, and he would give me like a snippet. Um, but I could at least hear what it was I was about to buy. And I, and there was a couple of times, in, you know, I, I remember being like, this sounds like someone used like a, a, a Fisher Price, you know, something from, from 1975 to record this thing. I, I don't want it. Um, but there were some times where I was blown away by the recording and, and, you know, obviously chose that one. So, um, like I said, you know, it's one thing to get those in a in a tape trade and go, eh, I probably won't listen to that one again. Um, but on CD, when you had to when you had to pay either thirty or sixty dollars, sometimes more, um, that that was tough. Yeah, you had to be you, you had to be careful with those. I, I had similar experiences where a lot of the stuff that um, I picked up was usually at um, uh, CD and record fairs, and it got to mm-hmm. the point where. Um, kind of the vendors that would allow you to take a listen those were the people that you'd spend time you know uh at their table and being willing to to um spend money with them versus others who are just like nope you either buy it or you don't and you're you're taking a huge risk i had one of those actually at a record store out in um long island where um uh the Randall's Island show got released on a three disc set. And it was one of those scenarios where it was like 70 bucks for the three discs. And that's it. You don't get to hear it and you don't get to look at it. You just have to pay for it. And I was like, well, it was the Randall's Island show. So, <laughs> uh, and it turned out to be good, but it's still, it's like a, it's a, a risky uh, gambit there when you, you're not entirely sure what you're going to get. And I have had a couple of those along the way where, um, you know, they're those rough listens where you're like, oh, that's just not really worth the time. Yeah. Or like, you know, the, the microphone is clearly there. There's someone standing three feet away who's drunk or, or talking or screaming or whatever. And you, you can't even listen to it. Yeah. That Randall's Island show, I, that needs an official release. I hate to say it because um, I'm jealous of people who were there. My, my first show was uh, hard for a couple of days later. Uh, nice. But I, I think Randall's Island needs its own release. It's such I, I I'm not even sure I have it on disc or on mp3 right now i know i had it on tape years ago uh it's such a good show there's so much energy there but it the at least the version i had of the bootleg left a lot to be desired with sound quality yeah the 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 second night is okay um i think it's you know there's a couple of versions of that um different um different tape rigs um and that one definitely came out a lot better than night one which is uh you know, it just it rained so heavily that you couldn't really get a good rec- recording on night one. It's a, that one's a tough listen for most of it. Yeah. Um, but I would love it. I would, I would take, I would happily yeah. take any of those shows, uh, getting a, an official release. So hopefully they're, they're in the future at some point in, in some way, shape or form. I know just, just open up the floodgates and release, like, you know, have it be $10 per show, download anything between 1991 and, you know, 98 and, uh, 
just just take my money here. <laughs> like, <I'll> just, <laughs> it was like it was like when the uh, the 2000 shows came up for sale and it was like, you know, buy them all individually or you can buy them all as a group. I think there was a little bit of a discount, not much. It was like seven or eight hundred dollars or something like that. And I wasn't I wasn't making much money at that time, but I I couldn't decide. I, you know, I saw a bunch of shows on that tour, so I knew I was getting those and I was looking at set lists. I think I was on, you know, Five Horizons. We can talk about that in a little bit, too. Um, thank you, Karen, for the wonderful resource over the years. Um, but, uh, I just was like, I can't decide. I, I know there's like the, the eight man thing. I, I can't decide. Just give me the whole set. And I did the same thing in 2003. And finally, I, I kind of pumped the brakes a little bit on the subsequent tours and, and bought the ones that I went to plus a handful of ones that got really good reviews, but yeah, I, was, I couldn't stop myself. I, I had a few people that I had, uh, been f- friendly with through the tape trading trees and the first evolutions of the CDR trees, we got together when that uh, got announced for the bootlegs and we're like, okay, there's 10 of us, everybody sign up for the shows you want to get. And if there's overlap, we'll try to, you know, work our way through that. And then basically we, we turned it into a big swap because we're like, we're we're not going to be able to afford buying every one of these shows, so let's go ahead and and turn it into our own little internal trading circle. And we did the same thing um, in '03, and then things changed drastically yeah. for the next couple of tours because everything turned into downloads and BitTorrent and and whatnot. But that's a that's another topic we'll get into um, yes. for another day. So. So I think we've covered a lot of ground here in terms of like where we're hoping to take this, um, and I think um, I, you know I think we're both um, on the same page. We're excited to see how this is going to go, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing how it you know it, it it takes off and you know what type of feedback we can get, um, and hopefully uh, you know we can we can keep people entertained as we kind of talk about these um, these early days and the you know the idiosyncrasies that were involved but um that keep memories um alive and uh and you know just roll out uh, what we can yeah I, I agree i think um you know i love the idea of just um seeing kind of what feedback this episode gets again this is just sort of starters here right but seeing if there are maybe some people that want to join us who were who were there with us i know a couple of people i still talk to from back in the day that would that would be good to kind of join us um and i also you know as much as this is going to make me sound old or whatever, I would love to hear if people have questions, right? Cause I, I think anyone, anyone who got into this band past 98, 2000 ish, I mean, the world, it, it was at your fingertips. You could just download anything anytime. And I think that's phenomenal. I love the fact this idea that like someone today could become a Pearl Jam fan and then immediately have like 5,000 MP3s on their computer within 24 hours is astonishing to me. Um, but I, I think like it, it was a different world back then. And I'd love to know if like, like, do people have questions about how this all worked? It, it's got to be a foreign concept, like tape trading and not having access to everything. And, and you know, how, how did you do it and whatever? I, I'd, love to, I'd love to know if people have questions about it. Yeah, again, absolutely. Because I think like you, I could talk about it for hours. No, for sure. I, I, uh, my, my final anecdote on all of that will be um, when the Moline stream came out, a bunch of us were um, uh, hanging out um chatting on the discord um server for live on four legs and i found myself going and i i I just couldn't believe what was going on i'm sitting there and i'm typing to everyone that if my younger self 25 years ago when no code had come out knew that he would be 
casting a live stream video of a Pearl Jam show from his phone to his TV <laughs> and talking about it with a bunch of people, he'd be a little bit freaked out because <laughs> yeah, it's just it, such a different world. It totally is a different world. And I love it. And like I said, like I, I, I said a little bit earlier, I don't think about the stuff that I download now as like stuff I own. Right. So like I never updated my bootleg page past like 15 years ago. Um, and I love going on BitTorrent sites and I, and I love going on archive and a bunch of sites. And, and even now I'll go on archive every once in a while. I'll be like, Oh, there's a new upload of this show or this show uh, and go, wow, that's way better than the one that I've had for 20 years. Uh, it's just, it's astonishing how many places you can find this stuff. And I, and I love it. And, and I, I'd love to, you know, I, I think, um, I think that would be, I'm, I'm looking at Randy here, I suppose that would be an interesting episode to have too. like have people who started becoming fans two years ago, talk about their experience. How did you hear about them? And how did you then dive in? Cause like, it, it's just, there's a, just a wealth of information out there and, and MP3s and concerts and reviews and, you know, live on four lakes took over from, from, from a site that took over from another site that goes all the way back to five horizons. Like there's, there's just this lineage of, of people who are passionate about this that are putting this information out there. So you can find reviews of every show. You can find MP3s of every show you can download here, there official stuff, but like it's, it's almost, it's gotta be almost overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, let's, uh, we're going to put a wrap on, uh, the intro episode and, uh, you know, we'll hope to hear from everybody, get some feedback and, uh, we look forward to, um, to our next chat, which, uh, we'll be doing soon. And that's going to be about the Zurich Switzerland show from, uh, 1992. So with that, we'll bid adieu and, uh, we'll talk to you guys next time about hallucinogenic recipe, the bootleg days. All right. Things were different then. Peace out. Still in search of that elusive recipe for Pearl Jam. <laughs>